All right. Well, last week, I, uh, I, I hope that Steve didn't undo everything that I said. Um, I want to hear what, what Steve said. I missed him. I understand the, he didn't get the uh, recording working, so a bummer to that, but that's, that's okay. I want to know where, where did you go with him? What, uh, what kind of information did he bring in? Did it tie in? Were there things, he, light bulbs turned on because all of a sudden he's saying something that matches it? Oh, somebody says it in a different way. It, it kind of makes more sense. Give me some, some issues that you guys talked about. We're going to actually cover that, so he stole some of my material from this week. That's good. <laughs> Did he look ahead? Did I have to leave my book in here or something? <laughs> That's great. Good. Okay. Other things that, you, that Steve kind of brought in that would either reinforce something or, or made you think about something in a different way? We're going to talk about that the following week as well, where there's different stages you go through in parenting. It isn't always the same. There, there are stages, and you can watch these, and you can say, oh, okay, I'm in this phase of parenting with my kids, and it does. It, it, we're going to talk about it. It starts with authority, and it ends up with relationship, and that's what we're after, is, is how we get there and how we bridge that, and what happens if we don't, uh, and we're, we'll look at some of that even today, I think, so that's good. One more. Somebody else? For us, so. I mean, just on the same subject, we have a three-year-old those stages we're having to, to learn how to deal with each stage or how to address each stage. Um, and then with the oldest one, she's also learning how, hey, well, we're dealing with you in a different way. And she also gets to see how we deal with our, our youngest mm-hmm. and how her herself can see that difference. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It'll be even harder as the older one watches with the younger one and you don't do things the same way because you've, you've become a Christian, you've, you've learned new, new parenting practices and also, you know what, I wasn't doing things the best way. The communication, is, and that's what we're going to talk about today is biblical communication and how you can use times like that actually to your benefit rather than to a negative. So that's good. Okay, two weeks ago when we were here, and thank you for the little vacation. We enjoy that time with, with grandkids. Two weeks ago we talked about the moral warehouse that kind of settle in your brain a little bit the, and the different sections? Any examples or any, anything you guys thought about that during the, the last couple of weeks where you said, oh, there's something I need to put on the shelf or you, you went to Costco this week and you, you, you said it, you, you thought about it again? Did that help at all? Steve, did you think about that at all? Yes. <laughs> just, yeah, just the, the idea that you're constantly building into your children um, 
with the with the knowledge that someday uh, this is going to come back around, whether whether there's an issue at the uh, that you're dealing with at the moment, um, kind of thinking about you know behavior, um, not so much that there's a behavior that needs correcting, but sort of a more proactive approach that okay someday you know you're going to be facing these issues or someday um, uh, we're going to need to refer back to these. Mm -hmm. We had six different aisles or levels of respect. Respect for authority, respect for parents, respect for age, respect for peers, respect for property, and respect for nature. Those were the ones we kind of divided into. And then we talked about the moral search mechanism. You guys kind of think about that when you're doing different things. Okay, here's my brain thinking and looking at the situation in front of me saying, do I need to act upon what I see? Is there any biblical reference of anything in my mind that tells me provide some actions to me based upon what I see that say this situation requires me to think in this way and to have these kind of actions. That's the whole idea of how we bring scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what we're trying to do is create those items on the shelves so that they are found and verses and scriptural principles are found. That's our job. And so the the moral search mechanism had four different uh, operations or activities. Warning, something's going to happen. You're you're heading in the wrong direction. Prompting to do right. And then when you did something wrong, accusing you. Or when you did something right, excusing you. Those were kind of the the things we looked at there. And and continue to uh, think about that because those are going to be things that are going to walk through life with you and and as you do the, the training process. Let's turn the, the corner a little bit here and look at embracing biblical methods of biblical communication. And I know that uh, a lot of you guys are maybe overwhelmed. There's just so much information that's coming into your brains as we're going through this, and do I do this or that, and, and I don't remember exactly what was said, and there's just so much going on here. Um, you look at 14-year-olds, I mean, to raise a teenager, that's a lot of work. And you're, you guys who have 2-year-olds, 4-year-olds, it's like, uh, man, I'm not sure about these teens and what that's going to be like here. Um, we're going to be faced during these times with our own weakness, with our own sins, with our own inabilities. And, and Satan wants to take you from that goal of continuing and charging on, um, settling for just situational uh, ethics, uh, situational success, and, and just human controls where you're going to default to, I just want to get out of this situation. Just deal with this for now so that I can get past this. Remember, God is the one who can bridge that gap. He can take your knowledge of looking at Scripture and have you recognize uh, um, the whole chart we've been going through of what it is you're you're really after here. Um, Between us and our children, there's uh, sometimes gaps with teens. Like, man, this is we're running into some problems here. How do we deal with these things? Um, But how to bring love and unity that brings those those. Uh, situations back in so that they will grow spiritually. And that's our goal, really, is to teach our kids that they will grow spiritually and they will feed themselves on their own. That's what we're trying to do here. Proverbs 23, 13 from 19 is kind of a good starting point for this. Um, And we're going to be coming back to this during the discipline sections. Do not withhold uh, discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your hearts in the way. These are the things that we want to always be thinking, how to direct our hearts um, so that we do speak the right things. It's real easy. Satan's going to want to pull us off and, and say, okay, give up here and just you know, start, go back to your old self here. 
we need to set the patterns. And what happens in the teens sometimes is because we've set patterns already in their, when they're younger. And uh, it's, it's never too late. You know, starting with a, a child who's 14 or you've got some older kids that maybe are, in, are at home or not, um, it's never too late. God, God will not um, do that. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old. He will not depart from it. Now, the words there, train up a child, really interesting. When it was first explained to me, um, the Hebrew moms and dads, what they would do, think of, think of having a child 2,000 years ago. And they didn't go to the store and buy Gerber baby food. They didn't have the little things that we have now. So what they would do, the word train up came from to put in your mouth and chew up into a paste. And then you take it, put it in your finger, and they would put the food in the back of the mouth, right on the back of the throat. It would cause the child to swallow. And that's kind of the word behind train up. Chew it up, make it into the size and the consistency that the child needs for their age, and put it in a place where they will have to digest it and, and take it in. And so that was kind of the process of training up a child, the thought process. You want to do this for your child at whatever age they are. If they're a teenager or if they're you know, two years old or you know, a year old, all along the way there, we have to, as parents, be wise to take and take scripture and take biblical principles and put them in ways, communicate them to our kids so that they will understand them. That's what we want to talk about here. So biblical com- communication is not just expressing our opinions. That's, that's not what we're doing here. That's, that's not the idea of parenting. It's just taking your opinions and giving them to your kids. This is really the positive side of discipline. Discipline has a positive and a negative side, and Scripture speaks so much more to the positive side. You know, discipline, we always think, always has to do with you know, taking your kid out and wailing on them. No, absolutely not. Discipline starts with the whole communication, the positive side. And we're going to speak so much more to that. I think that's why I like to put the the whole issue of spanking, as we culturally call it, way towards the end here because it's such a small part of the, the whole chain of things that are a part of the parenting process. So it's not just expressing our opinions. It's, it's drawing the ideas out of others, what ideas are in them to, to see where they're at, to learn where their heart is so we can discern the abundance of their heart. It's a two-way process. It's a two-way process. Um, it's, it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. And, yeah, with a two-year-old, you're not going to rationalize with a two-year-old. I've seen parents do that where they're you know, trying to talk to their child, and why did you do this? And No, the kid did something wrong. You need to pick them up. You need to deal with their disobedience and get it over with. It's not a, you know, a rationalization of what they're doing because you always get this but, but. But dad, but mom, or I didn't do, didn't hear you. There's always a ras- rationalization. Yes, there is there is some time for it, but we do want to listen to them, and we need to speak into them. Proverbs eighteen two: A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That's a great verse to remember when you're parenting, because I know I did this sometimes. I'd go in and talk to my kids and tell them everything, and I I missed the whole story here uh, because I wasn't checking into what was going on with them. Proverbs eighteen thirteen. it's shameful to answer before listening. Wow, we get, we get guilty of that sometimes. Proverbs 20, verse 5, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I love that verse. That verse just, it provides so much wisdom in what we need to do in all of our relationships, especially in the parenting relationship. Though it's, it's like deep water, drawing it out of your kids. What are they thinking? You need to get into the brain of that little child, whether it be a four-year-old or whether it be an 18-year-old, uh, getting into their mind by asking them things. So that's the art of communication, drawing the thoughts of others out. Correction that we're talking about here is not venting your feelings. 
but it's understanding the nature of the struggle that your child is having. They're having a struggle. Their heart up here has something in it that's causing some behavior. And, and we have to use wisdom and asking questions to find out what is going on in their hearts to uh, see the struggles they're having. Them. And it's engaging them in provocative discussions. It's like, well, what made you think that? And, and we're going we're gonna to talk about some of this. Be unwilling with your kids to live with distance or avoidance or non-answers. And this is usually a little bit older kids. You know, two-year-olds, uh, they don't know much. They're not going to answer you. I realize that. But as the kids get older, you have to watch what's going on in their lives that you're, you're not left in this authoritarian, just all you're doing is just commanding them and telling what to do, and you're not asking them questions to find out what's going on in their hearts. So you can see the spectrum from a small child as they're growing to a teenager. You, you need to be asking this. It doesn't just happen all of a sudden over, overnight. They build up that resistance to you, that non-responsiveness, where you ask a six-year-old, hey, how was your day today? And they might say something, it was fine. I mean, I remember Kathy and the yeah, well, they'd be at school, so maybe eight or nine year old. And uh, how was your school, your day today at school? Fine. Uh, what'd you do? Not much. I mean, all the questions are no. You got to keep asking questions further and further because if you just let your child do that, you're missing out on that communication to see what's in their heart. Helping them express their own ideas is what it is, and this helps them understand the why of what's going on in their heart. Get them to understand that why. And there's a difference between just asking them why. And, and teaching the moral reason why. So we, we try to do this often with our kids. Something would happen. There was some occurrence that happened, and, and we would try to teach the why behind it rather than just, you know, this happened and, and it was a factual thing. Well, let's, let's understand why things happen. Or um, you tell them don't touch the stove. Well, that's great. I mean, a little two-year-old, we would tell our kids no touch. But then to explain the why, we would take their hand and hold it near the stove. Oh, it's hot. They would see it. And we're not burning their hands. We're not holding their fingers in the flame. But, but near there, oh, because we had a wood stove we heated our house with. And, okay, we would hold their hand there. It's hot. No touch. No touch. And so we then draw their hand back. So we, we taught the why. We said no, and then we taught the why. And, and think of that in m- multiple situations. You, know, you tell them not to uh, ride their bike down the steep hill that's in front of your house. Why? Well, because you're going to get your knees hurt. You're teaching the why behind what it is. that you, You're not just telling them, don't do that because I'm a mean and ogre and I don't want you to have fun. It's, no, I don't want you to hurt your knees. I don't want to have to take you to the hospital. Um, we, we really tried to work on this with our kids. It's funny. One of our, our daughters, Heather, she, uh, I think she was at school. I think she, was at some, uh, she wasn't homeschooling at the time, was she? Um, she, had, uh, she had a math question. And it, second grade. And a math question on her paper was, uh, Sally had four apples she gave to her teacher, and she gave two apples to her friend Lisa. How many apples did she have and why? So she wrote six because she loved her teacher and her friend. Well, it wasn't six because four plus two equals six. It was because the reason why she did it was because she loved people. Yeah, yeah, she's looking for the moral answer. And that's what you, you want to train your kids to be ready for. What's the moral reason behind what they're doing, not just what's the facts that are going on in life? Um, there's a story here in, in uh, your book you'll be reading this week, and I'll just read this section because it's really good here. kind of hits this. Um, imagine this scenario. Your child is putting on his new sneakers. You knew last night when you bought them that he was not really happy with them, but they were the only ones you could afford. Now he's getting ready for school, and he's crying. How are you going to handle this one? 
If your objective is to let him know what you think, you might say something like this. Look, I know you don't like the sneakers, but that's all I could afford. Don't be such a baby. What would Jared say if I told him you were crying about something like this? They're just going to get messed up anyways. In a couple of days, no one will know what they look like. What do you care about those what other kids think about your sneakers. Who made them the experts anyhow? You should be thankful you even have sneakers. Those sneakers you don't like cost more than my first car. Look, I, don't have, I have to go to work. I have more important things to do than deal with sneakers. And so that, that's one way you could deal with it. You know, just kid, get over it. If your primary objective, though, is to understand the child's internal struggles, your conversation would sound more like this. The parent, you're upset about the sneakers, aren't you? Yeah. I didn't think you liked them when we bought them last night. You didn't want to tell me, did you? No. What, what is it you didn't like about them? Well, they look stupid. I don't know what you mean. Well, Jared says they look stupid. When did Jared see them? We just got them last night. Well, Chris got a pair just like this, and Jared told everybody in the class that they look stupid. Well, that, that doesn't make sense. What, what is it about them? Well, the red stripe on the back. They don't put red stripes on the new ones. That's last year's shoes. That's why they were only $89. Oh, I see. You're afraid that they're going to call you stupid today, right? Yeah. Well, that really hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. I I don't know why they should care about what my shoes are like, but I know they're going to call me stupid. You see the process that went on here? What are you learning? Your child is struggling with feelings that you can identify with. There's a genuine pressure out there in his third grade, grade classroom. He's feeling the pressure to be approved by his peers. This circumstance is bringing out his hopes and the fears of his heart. So what it is, we just saw the heart here, and we saw the action that was going on. We asked some questions. We saw, ah, it's a fear of man, isn't it? There's a fear of what others are going to think about this. So now you can take him to verses, and what does God say about that? Well, we're going to be despised. We're going to be rejected of men. You can bring it into a gospel conversation, even though it has nothing to do with the gospel and sneakers, but you can feel with him. You know what? I know what it's like. I, I too, fear other people. At work sometimes I'll do things or however it is you come around him and say, yeah, I know how that feels. Well, let's pray about this. Now, it's not just all about the sneakers. It's not just about him. It's not about that situation. You're able to show that, hey, Christ is an answer. And that's what we want to keep doing is showing that Christ is the answer through all these things. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 talks about really your self-worth. Don't be swayed by the, the world, but be uh, have it be based really on Christ and what he's done for you. Great place to do that. So we have some objectives here in this process of communication. The first one is the behavior we see is a reflection of the abundance of the heart. We know that. That's where it's coming from. We want to help them understand then the content of the abundance of the heart in this particular situation. And just even take them back to, uh, to Luke 6. Read Luke 6, 43 through 45 with them and talk about good fruit and, and bad fruit and trees bear fruit. And it's out of the abundance of the heart is what we say and what we do. And say, you know, this, this explains your heart. So taking a 8, 9, 10-year-old, it would be a great place to do that. Now, you can't do that with a 2-year-old. They can't read the Bible. They don't know. But what are you doing? You're setting it up to just ask questions. Start in that process to learn more as they're, as they're growing. So they'll see what that issue. We want them to interpret their own heart. Thirdly, those internal issues of the heart are far more important than specific issues of behavior because they are what drives behavior. It's that heart that has this fear of man in it that's driving the behavior of being afraid and crying about a pair of shoes, which seems real silly to us, but it starts because there is a fear within their heart. This allows us the bottom line of bringing the truth of the gospel to the exact point where your child needs it. That's what we're after here. The shoe story, it's about approval of man. 
Think also of the, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, the model of Christ and the incarnation. He was tempted in all ways without sin. Why? Because he was Christ, but what did he do? He turned to Scripture. There's no temptation that has taken us, but what that which is common to man, he will provide a way of escape. Bring those verses regularly to your kids. You know what? Yeah, you're going to face some tough situations where your, your heart doesn't want to do what, what is right, but we know that Christ will provide a way, and you bring them to yourself. You know, there's times when I don't know how I'm going to deal with something because it, it's really, it really hurts my feelings that people do certain things. But you know what? God has said that he will provide a way of escape if necessary. Otherwise, he'll give us what we need to go through it. So you're asking questions that are, help them articulate their struggles. Wrong one is, why did you do that? I remember those questions from my parents when I was a kid. I said, why did you do that? It's like, you're paralyzed. You don't want to say, you know, because I'm a stupid idiot. You know, I mean, that's about all you can say because it's, you're, you're left with no other answer. They're, they're making you look like a fool. No, that's not the idea. What, what were you thinking at the time? Now, not of what were you thinking at the time. It's, you know, what was going through your mind? Asking those kind of questions, do you think that that was a real wise choice? What was it that made you think in those terms instead of in other terms? So you're, uh, you're trying to understand those. In a fight, well, what was it that made you so upset with your sister? You know, when you guys are scratching or yelling or, or what, doing whatever to each other. What ways could you have responded to this situation in a different way that might have been more godly? These are the kind of questions will help them see a track that they will then learn to use in the future. Did your response at that time reflect that you were trusting God at this moment? Now, that's a little more mature of a question. You're not, not going to ask that of a two-year-old. But you, you're, you're, you see on the spectrum where your, your kids get older, it allows the questions to get broader and deeper. So then they're, they're saying, oh, yeah, I wasn't really thinking Christ-like in that way. We view communication as rules and regulations, correction and discipline. That's, that's what we always think of when we hear about these kind of things when we're talking about parenting. But there's, there's this whole different dimension of things here. So instead of rules, correction, and discipline, biblical um, communication listed in the Bible, we have encouragement, rebuke, entreaty. I'll, I'll go over these in a, a second again. Now think of First uh, Timothy uh, 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Well, encouragement, rebuke, entreaty, instruction. There's warning. I mean, that's what our communication sometimes is, is warning, teaching, and sometimes even prayer uh, is, a, is a communicating tool there as well. So that's ways that we want to do it. And, and we're going to do this sometimes with passion, and sometimes we're going to do it with force you know, when we're communicating with them. Let them know, you are heading in the wrong direction. I'm really concerned for you and your heart because you're making some decisions here. I'm pleading with them is what I'm doing sometimes. The book will expand on this a little bit further also when you get into it. Um, so there's some benefits of biblical communication that we're after here. First, it disciplines the heart of our children. We want to discipline their hearts, not just their bottoms, not just things that they're doing. It disciples their heart, not disciplines. Well, same thing. It disciples the hearts of our children. It, it helps them understand their own internal world. I mean, how, why are they thinking what they're doing? They're they're not just doing things by rote. Their, their mind is causing them to do things, and we need them to be aware of this other dimension in their life, which is really understanding the true nature of reality. I mean, there's a whole separate mind world that we, we have to be prepared for, and they need to be thinking their whole thought process, because isn't that what Christ went after, was what are you thinking, not just what you're doing? 
that's what we want to train them to be ready for so that they're thinking in their beyond just this physical world of my toys, my trucks, my room, my food. It's, oh, there's people, there's relationships, there's all these other things that I'm affecting. That's communication. It's going to teach them these things. They don't just learn it by osmosis. If you don't teach it to them, somebody else will. They're going to learn it from their friends, and they're going to learn, oh, I do this, and I got this reaction. And that's where they get their feelings hurt. That's where you get these you know, clicks of, of people who join together and, and against other people sometimes because they, they are like-minded in those ways. Lastly there, it encourages faith in Christ. That's one thing we want to do is be prepared for that. This takes a lot of work, though. You've got to count the cost. I mean, to parent this way, to stop and think during the process when you're in, in this Deuteronomy 6. It's not when you're spanking them. It's not when they've done something wrong. This is Deuteronomy 6. When you're walking by the way, when you're sitting, when you're rising up, that's when this communication happens. When you're driving in the car, just asking questions. Hey, what did we learn at Sunday school? Well, you start that as a, as a starting point, and then you take different lessons. Well, what do you think Noah was thinking when the, the flood came? I mean, those are, they're talking about the flood. Well, what do you think Noah was thinking when everyone, all of a sudden the rain actually started? What, these are great questions to make their little minds start thinking beyond just, well, yeah, there's rain outside. Um, you have to be very flexible. It's going to take a lot of time, but also flexibility where you, you have something you want to do. I remember many projects I wanted to do that I had to say no to because I've I got to deal with something here with my kids and, and look for something here to, to, to work on it. And uh, you look for these opportunities to communicate. Just like we have uh, couch time with your spouse, same thing. It's, it's looking for and making opportunities to take your kids out on one-on-one on dates. I mean, a four-year-old is not too young to do that for you uh, uh, to, to take, Jason, to take um, Cameron out and say, hey, let's just talk and you have ice cream or something like that. And it's a great way to just start that process of asking questions. Um, he has another good example here in uh, instructing a child's heart. And this is kind of the next one after teach. Uh, Shepherding a child's heart, if you want additional material, it's a a big help. Um, It talks about goals of communication here. Where did that one go? There it is. Okay. Um, And and this just hit me right between the eyes because I've done this myself. He says, uh, I had a fool's conversation one night with my son. I went to his room before bed to speak with him. I had something on my chest that I wanted to express. I frankly was not interested in understanding him. I wanted him to understand me. I did not say anything unkind or abusive. When I finished, I told him I was glad we had this chance to talk together. I prayed with him and headed off to bed. Sounds good so far, right? Smart dad, he did that. A few minutes later, there was a knock on the bedroom door. Dad, are you guys still up? Yeah, yeah, son, what is it? Come on in. Dad, when you left my room, you said you were happy we had had talked together. I just wanted to mention that I didn't say anything. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess I had a good talk. You had a good listen. If I had let you say something, what would you have said? I don't know. I just wanted to tell you that I didn't say anything. There's a subtext here. The subtext is, if you really want to know what I would have said, you're going to have to pursue me. That's what he's saying to him. I was a fool that night. I could have said any, everything I wanted to say in the context of asking my son good questions and drawing him out. I could have delighted in understanding him rather than only in airing my own opinions. Why is that so important? When you delight in understanding your children, you're expressing your love for them. You're saying to them, I love you enough to care what you think. I love you enough to want to understand you. I love you enough to ask good questions. Delighting in understanding encourages your son or daughter to communicate. 
If they know mom and dad are really interested in what they think, they'll be far far more likely to open up than if they perceive you as disinterested or indifferent. Listening carefully to what your children are saying and even to what they are not saying will induce you to frame your words in ways that facilitate conversation. Without understanding, you may speak to an issue that they don't even think about and may miss the things most on their minds. Proverbs 18.13 speaks this topic with clarity. He who answers before listening, this is folly and his shame. I read that proverb and think of conversations I regret. I could see my son coming and I knew what he was going to ask. So I said, I head him off at the pass. I know what you're going to ask, but the answer is no. But dad, but what part of it of no do you not understand? But dad, I didn't even get a chance to ask my question. You don't have to ask your question. I'm your father. I know what you're going to say before you even open your mouth. I've answered him before listening. My children never respond to that by saying, Dad, it's so great you're a mind reader. I'm the envy of all my friends. (laughs) What my children feel at that point is, I can't get to first base with you. You respond without even hearing what I have to say. Foolish responses without listening will make your children disinterested in speaking with you. They will take their conversations elsewhere if they can't be heard. That's like, wow, i got to think about that because it's really easy Dad said it, you believe it, that settles it. And we miss those opportunities. And they start young. You've got to be prepared for uh, being able to communicate like this at, at an early age. So um, there's a lot of blessings to be able to communicate in this way. Uh, the, the parent-child relationship, I, it sounds like Steve kind of touched on this last week, and, and this is what I wanted to cover, is there's really a, a couple different ways that this works. There's first an authoritative parent. And uh, we're, we're going to draw a chart here. This is authority, and this is um, age in years. Zero, this we'll say is 18. And uh, your authority, if you're an authoritative parent, you basically say, I'm the boss, everything I say has everything to do with your life, and you will just be my authority. Until they turn 18, and then what happens? They leave. Yeah, you've just left it as 100% always the authoritative resource in the house, and they leave. That's what an authoritative parent will end up doing, because you're just, nope, I'm everything, 100%. Then you have on the other end, here's your authority, a permissive parent. A permissive parent will have next to zero authority, and this is basically your influence in their life. Because you're permitting them to do anything. You're not an authority at all, and... Yeah, you're going to be their friend. This is your influence out here. You're, you're, you're not going to influence them much in the future if, if this is rated on influence. The third is a well-balanced parenting um, perspective, and it starts with your authority, and if this is your influence in them, as your authority goes down, your influence goes up, and your influence will then keep going up in their lives. So this is influence. And this is authority. You see the value to that? So if you're, I'm sorry, if your authority is decreasing as they're becoming more and more autonomous, you have to watch what, what these steps are along the way. So you're not just remaining, I said it, you believe it, that settles it, you'll do everything that I said in my life. I was heading in that direction. That would have been me because that's the way I was brought up. So dad was the king over everything and whatever dad says go and you just, that's the way you live your life. And your authority is, is starts out Low, I'm sorry, your, your influence will then increase as they trust you more, as you give them more of the authority. So now, when they're 25 years old, they come to you and say, Hey, Dad, 
I have a question about such and such. Can you help me with this? Or I have somebody at work that was, I'm dealing with a question and uh, want to know how to, how to work through a, a, an issue. They want to have your influence. So now we're going to talk about this next week, how there's the different levels of parenting will be hit along the way here of the different age brackets and how you're going to affect them. Those are important for us to be able to, uh, to do those things. Authority is dominance because you're stronger, you're bigger, you're faster. When they're young, you have to start as their authoritarian. You have to say, no, you little two-year-old, you're a sinner that just did terrible sins. I'm going to lift you up and put you in the other room and deal with you. That's my authority because I'm bigger, better, faster, and I need to give you a dosage of my authority to teach you that level there. Influence, though, is willing to, them willing to place themselves under your authority. Okay, because of your proper use of authority, they're now willing to place themselves under your authority even after your authority might stop after 18 when they can leave the house. I remember my sister, when she turned 18, the day she turned 18, she left the house and got her own apartment. She didn't live too far away. She still loved her parents, but she wanted to be autonomous. She didn't want any of this authority that was sitting in the household. Peer pressure is a part of this. Well, peer pressure is only as strong as your influence as parent, your family identity is weak. So if your family is weak and your leadership is weak in it, they're going to be looking for peer pressure, all these other places to get their influence. If, if your authority is down here, they're going to get their influence from all their other friends. If your authority is way up here, they're going to get their influence from their friends. That's what peer pressure is. That's why they reach out to these other things in life. This also will give them a full-orbed view of life. We talked about this a, a second ago. Uh, this is their feelings and ideas, where these things come from. Um, this will help them see short-term and even long-term goals. If, if you're helping them along this process and they're, they're starting to set some goals in life and what they want to do, whether they want to, uh, you know, I, I remember having goals of wanting to have, buy my own bicycle when I was like 12 years old. So I had some goals of my parents under their authority. I would listen to them and they'd help me save money. Well, I, I would listen to them for certain things because they, they did have some wisdom there. But you would then be able to talk with them to set whatever goals they have. And maybe there's goals of reading the Bible in a year or whatever it is with their friends, and they want to share the gospel with three of their friends. So you can talk on these things because now you're influencing them. They want to share these things and be a part of your life. They're not just concerned with the what about life, but also the why. And that's what we want to do is, is get them into the why. This is, this is real character development during this process. So we're, we're helping them develop who they are by asking them questions so they're thinking about things they normally wouldn't think about. A lot, of, a lot of kids don't think about certain things, and I know I didn't. I was just never even brought up to me. Short-term gratification is also another thing. If, if they just want to gratify themselves and you have no authority over to them, either you're suppressing whatever it is they want or you're letting them do whatever they want here because you have no authority over them and you're a permissive parent, and they're just going to, I want to do it, I, they do it now. They don't understand long-term value of things. They, they just, I, I want ice cream and I want it now. I want it for dinner instead of whatever you just fed me. Okay, my little sweetheart, center of the universe, I'll give you ice cream for dinner. I mean, that's how bad it will be if you, if you don't uh, take your authority and use it in the right way. This also helps them understand the heart issues. It helps them understand themselves and their temptations. You can, you can walk into, if you have the right amount of influence in their life and you're not being authoritative where you're not um, only just barking out your, your orders to them, they're going to ask you things about themselves to understand temptations and fears and, and doubts that they have because they have them. I mean, think of yourself when you were younger years, teenage years, and you get to those, those you're starting to grow, you're, 
do I look right? Do I look weird? You know, is, is this the right color for my hair? You know, whatever, the, whatever these little things are that they're going to want to do, they're going to go to you for these answers. And also this allows you to, to integrate redemption into their lives. If, if they're listening to you and you have the right authority, when that time is prompted where the Holy Spirit is calling them, if you have been taking your authority and, and mixing it properly with your influence, they now want to ask, you know what, I, I want to understand about Christ. I, this whole thing, and, and I'm starting to understand my own sin and, and how God's goodness saved me, that's just an amazing thing to grasp. That's when they're going to have those conversations with you, which are just the gold ones. That's what you want as they're seeing redemption integrated to all areas of their lives. The idea is to take God's standards and put everything through a biblical grid. And this is allowing, that communication is allowing that, where Christ is relevant for all things. That's what we want to show them. So they, they need to learn to look at themselves, life, relationship, possessions, morality, leisure, government, learning, knowledge, marriage, family, the past, the future, love, hate, character, maturity, right and wrong, good and evil, success and failure, and everything else that they're going to encounter in life from the vantage point of Scripture. And this is how you can get them to, to consider that. And then there's a long-range view that we should have. Parenting is your calling while your children are home. There is nothing more important um, than your response to do this, except for your relationship with Christ. But it's a sacrifice. It's going to raise your golf handicap. It's going to make it so your house maybe is not the perfect showcase house that you wanted. Um, It's going to be a sacrifice, but the value of it is worth it. When you get older and now you have the right amount of influence on your kid, you haven't just been permissive, giving them everything they wanted. You haven't been the authoritarian that has gone and just they leave your home because you've had this long-range view. Okay, a way that we do this is with Ephesians 6, 1. And uh, this verse is one that we always use with parenting, and we're going to use it again here. I think it, uh, it's going to have a profound effect. Okay, this is what we call the circle of blessing. We're going to teach them God's circle of blessing. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, you may live long on the earth. So, if this is a Godward orientation of your child, and here they are. See if I can draw my little guy here. There he is. I'm giving him some eyes. So if we take Ephesians 6 and we start taking this thing apart, first it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord. So one of the first things they have to do is obey. We see that. This is the circle. This is what we're going to see. The children are called to obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Then it says, honor your father and mother. So they need to obey and they need to honor. I left you some room to draw this there, if you want. So obey and honor is what they're called to do. Then it says, honor your father, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you. So if you do this, there's a result. It'll be well with you. And then after that, it says that you will live long on the earth. So long life. So as long as you stay within this, God says that if you honor your mother and father and you obey them, you will live long, you will live your life long, and it'll go well with you. That's if you stay within this circle of blessing. What happens 
with our kids is that sometimes when they disobey, they're out here. Okay, they're outside of this circle of blessing. So they have moved beyond this line. There is a line that they have crossed. They have done something wrong. They are outside this line. That's what's happened in the process there. Well, we know that if they do that, there's, there's going to be something that will happen, right? So now they have decided to disobey or dishonor. They came out here. And if that happens, then what do we got to do? What is our responsibility as parents? Well, because we love our, our kids and we want them to get God's blessing, we want to bring them back in here, right? So we need to get them to repent. There's, there's a rescue mission. So there should be some type of discipline or correction. We need to some way, shape, or form, bring them back into the circle. They need to see that they're outside and that we need to bring them back inside that circle of blessing. They're in danger. There's a danger being out there because, you know what, if you're out there, and we can be blunt and honest with them, your life may be cut short. It will not go well with you. You're going to be having some problems in life, either long-term training, but but God will cause something to happen. And you can use stories of, of people and, and all kinds of things that happens to kids who run away from their parents. I and mean, they're in the front yard of their house and they just go running automatically. And they can run between two cars in front of another car and hit them and, and they're dead. That happens regularly. So we don't want that to happen. Whatever is a two-year-old is running away from their parents. They've been instructed to come, come to mommy and they don't. They go the opposite direction. They are in danger. Think of this as a two-year-old that just ran, and this is the border of the, of the house grass, and they're not supposed to go past the grass where the sidewalk is, and that's the border, and they run past that, and now they're going right into the street. They are in danger. They're going to get run over. There's, there's, there's something we need as parents to say, you've disobeyed, you've dishonored. We need to use discipline and correction to bring them back. When they're two years old, you can pick them up and bring them in here, but you now have to deal with this uh, as, a, as a corrective action. We're not just looking for compliance here. We're looking for changing their heart that will make them want to stay within the circle to recognize this. It's always true. The path of honor is the path of blessing. As long as they honor, they will stay within this circle of blessing here. Other, cult- other children in the culture that we have around them, they may not have this. They, they don't have a view that, you know, that God is not going to honor you, that it will go well with you and you'll live long life. But we have Scripture and Scripture tells us this is what a child is told. This is one of the few verses in the Bible where it speaks specifically to children. Children obey, and this is obviously from the back in Deuteronomy in the Ten Commandments. So that's what they're, they're called to do there. So really, you take this and you teach this to your children. You know, if you've got a kid that's fairly young, you can do this in some circle, uh, some way in a small child, and you take the Bible. Take Ephesians 6. Kids, we're going to look at Ephesians 6 tonight. And you just take it, you draw the circle out and say, look, here's what it is. And when daddy sees that you have gone outside of what we believe the circle is, we're afraid for you. We want your heart to come back here because we, we care about you. We, we want you to have a long life. We want it to go well with you because God says that it won't go well with you if you dishonor or you disobey. And, and we've seen this where this going well with you, it's amazing when your kids are well-disciplined the opportunities they're going to get. It's because of that that more friends would invite them over to their parties or to spend the night with them or take them to Disneyland or take them and fly them to another city with their friend to do something because their family's going, they want to have a friend because they know that that child is well 
um, self-discipline so that they then, because of their actions and visibly different than other kids, they get really cool things sometimes. Not that that's what they're after, but well-disciplined kids are hard to find nowadays. So if you have a child that does honor and obey those that are in authority, you're going to find that they have other ways that they get blessings that a lot of kids don't get. And that's obviously not what they're after is that carrot. Ultimately, this is because it's Godward. We're trying to eventually get them to see that it's, it's God who we're trying to please. Okay, so that's the circle of blessing. Your homework, you'll see at the bottom there, is you've got a little bit of reading. Um, but take this chart. If you have kids that you think are of an age that they could understand this and just kind of walk them through from the Bible, do that with them. It's just a great chance to just draw this out and say, this is, is where I want, I want to bring you. And maybe, kids, I haven't been drawing this line very clear for you. And, and as we get in through some of the discipline issues coming up, we're going to maybe do, be defining this a little better for them. And so you say, you know what? I haven't been real clear on the rules of the house of what you can and can't do, what's acceptable and what's not. And, and I'm going to be defining this line a little bit better. And when you come over here, I want you to know that I'm not doing this because I don't like you, because I want you to have a terrible life and, 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 and I'm a mean ogre. It's because I want you to have a long life. I want it to go well with you. Now you're seen as a rescuer, not as a disciplinarian. You're not there just to make their life miserable. And I remember that's what I viewed my parents as. You know, they're just making my life miserable by all this. So, no, there's, I love you. See, see the correlation there. Any questions? Yeah. I was just going to comment, too, that when you're talking in communication with your children, use biblical terms like wise choices or wisdom or things rather than, oh, that was bad. You made a bad choice. Or, you know, words that are just common to making their feelings feel bad. Or, but, you know, take words out of the Bible and use them. You know, God wants us to obey or those kind of words and stuff, rather than just, that was bad, and, and making them shamed into it. Use, use biblical terms, and that's really important, because we oftentimes, when it came down to the whole process, we'd, we'd have to come back and say, you know, did you make a wise choice? And I'm sorry, you didn't make a wise choice, therefore you can't have such and such. Or, you know, those kinds of things. The wisdom training, and we're going to get to that mm-hmm. next. Good. Good. All right. Andrew, would you close us in prayer?